Hi, and welcome to this BGSM podcast on using sports psychology to improve clinical performance. I'm Shana Carhart, and I'm excited to be joined with Dr. Helen Church today to discuss the similarities between athletes and healthcare professionals and how they can benefit from the foundations of sports psychology. Hi, Helen. Thank you for joining us today. Please, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? No problem. Yeah, thank you for having me. My name's uh, Dr. Helen Church, and I work currently as an academic clinical lecturer, um, which is on a GP training programme. I work 50% of the time in clinical training and 50% for the University of Nottingham as a clinical assistant professor in medical education. And my area of interest is medical education research. Thank you. So you've looked into how sports psychology can be used within the medical setting. How similar are the pressures for an elite athlete competing compared to a doctor attending an emergency? So I think there's probably quite a lot of overlap, actually, um, between the clinical environment being a stressful place to work and also the sporting environment and particularly competition being a stressful environment, too. And I think um, they have a few kind of shared facets, really, one of them being kind of more on the internal side of things, like the responsibility that you have to yourself, but also to the other people around you to do, quote unquote, a good job. So obviously, from a doctor's perspective, your responsibility is to deliver a high standard of care to your patients. But as maybe, um, you know, a team member of a sports group and a sports team in a competition, you've got a responsibility to kind of um, do your best, but also do your best for your teammates as well. So there's that kind of responsibility, as well as all the people around you, family, friends that have maybe supported you, et cetera. Those responsibilities are quite similar for the two groups. Um, And also putting into practice your knowledge and skills from your training. So when, again, when you're an elite athlete, I understand that you spend the vast majority of time practicing what you're going to be doing or your competition. I mean, you know, if you're a shot putter, for example, you spend months and months and months of training in different areas. And then it all boils down to that one day, maybe, where you go to the Commonwealth Games or the Olympics, etc. And that must be a huge amount of pressure on your shoulders. And I think similarly for doctors, particularly in those early years, and, and maybe even the first year in particular, where you've been training for five, six years, um, and you feel that you should have the knowledge and skills to apply to different scenarios uh, with different patients. And there's a pressure then to access that knowledge and skills and put them into practice under stressful situations. So that there's kind of those similarities. I think also it's really obvious that both of the environments, sporting and clinical have time pressures. So everybody has competition for their time, competing factors. Um, And also distractions. So I think we can all think of times when we've been watching a a match, you know, football match, et cetera, people um, running onto the pitch or in tennis when somebody's about to serve and somebody shouts out just at the wrong moment, things like that. Um, Similarly, in, in medicine, you've always got a list of things to do. And even when you're focused on one particular task that's really important, there's often other demands on your time. Uh, whether they're kind of a list of things to do in the back of your head or people physically coming up to you asking for you know drug cards to be signed or come and see this other patient they need you etc um I suppose as well there's finally there's a a pressure 
in terms of expectations from other people. Um, as a sports person, that might be from the crowd, your fans, people who are looking to you to deliver whatever it is that needs to be done to get that gold medal or to, to set a new world record. Um, there's obviously media scrutiny and all that sort of outside stuff as well. And I suppose from a clinical perspective, the pressure comes from uh, sometimes the team that you're working in who expect you know, high standards of you quite rightly when you're looking after patients, but also from external bodies and, and regulatory bodies who also expect you to act in, in certain ways. So th there's lots of external pressures too. Um, so you can see there's lots of overlap. Um, I think the main difference, although I'm sorry, you didn't probably ask me that, <laughs> but, but it, it obviously leads on to the main difference um, between the two disciplines, medicine and sport, is I suppose the, the stakes. You know, when you're a doctor uh, or any healthcare professional and you're looking after patients, there's somebody's life could be in your hands. That sounds very, very dramatic, but it, it can be that sometimes. Um, and or certainly you are in a very responsible role and you're caring for another person and that has a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. In sports, yes, the stakes are extremely important and, and high for that particular individual, but hopefully, um, you know, no one is going to be so badly hurt, injured or even die because someone doesn't score a goal. So it, it's different um, in that way. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. That's um, quite a comparison there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so pre-performance routines have been used with athletes for a while now. If a doctor wants to use a pre-performance routine, how would they choose one or can they make it up themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think getting started, um, we've hopefully tried to address using the PERFORM model. So um, PERFORM stands for performance enhancing routines for optimization of readiness using metacognition. So you can see why we needed an acronym uh, in, in terms of calling it PERFORM. And that was the basis of my PhD study. Um, and just to give you a little bit of background, I work with a sports psychologist um, on this topic, um, as well as looking at kind of more general psychology theory in terms of metacognition. And, and all I be by metacognition, and I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this will know what it is, but I always define it as thinking about thinking. So it's taking, it's like trying to take an overview of what's going through your mind at any moment in time. Um, and a, a good example of metacognition is when you're reading a book, for example, and uh, you feel like you've missed something or you're watching a TV program and something just doesn't quite click in your mind. Perhaps a character's popped up from nowhere and you think, I don't know who they are. And it's that kind of internal monologue uh, an internal checking system that's going on, that is metacognition. So the PERFORM model basically tries to marry up the sports psychology techniques that are tried and tested, which are known generally as pre-performance routine. And we just tweaked the, the name of pre-performance into performance enhancing routines. And the difference really is that that means you can use these routines at any stage during a task. So they're not just before you go and put a cannula into someone's arm or just before you go and see an acutely unwell patient. You can use them at any time during the task, before, during or afterwards. So that's why we changed the name. So 
if you start with sports psychology examples, which are tried and tested in lots of different areas like cricket, football, um, golf, things like visualisation is really popular. So clearly the content won't be the same when you're visualising a tennis shot, for example, thinking about where the ball's going to end up. That's not the same as visualising putting a, a cannula in someone or taking an arterial blood gas, for example. But the idea is the same. You're visualising doing the thing that you're wanting to achieve. Um, things like deep breathing as well, taking three deep breaths uh, is really easy, simple thing to do. And it has a physiological um, slant as well because it causes like a, a slight reflex bradycardia, which just slows your heart rate down as well as your breathing. So it, it enables you to control both of those things. Um, you can definitely make them up yourselves as well in terms of, performance enhancing routine and, and in fact the perform model encourages you to at least personalize your um your performance enhancing routines for, for example you can combine them so you can take a deep breath and uh, say a trigger word in your head trigger words are things that calm you down or um yeah can sort of try and relax you or focus you in a stressful situation so again in a in a medical scenario, for me, I did anaesthetics training um, a few years ago, and I used to use the word airway. <laughs> really obvious <laughs> one for anaesthetists out there. Um, that conjured up to me where my focus was when I got to a cardiac arrest. I was like, I'm going to head, you know, go up to the head of the bed and look after the patient's airway. That's my focus. I don't want to get distracted too much with all the different people in the room, what's going on. I'm going to just go and focus on what I need to do and, and secure that person's airway and support their breathing if necessary. Um, you can totally make your own up as well uh, in terms of performance enhancing routines. And in fact, for the PhD, that was a surprising outcome for me. I didn't ask people to make their own up necessarily, but they did it very, very easily, very quickly. Um, so there was one particular participant in the study who, whenever she got an emergency call to a cardiac arrest, she would tie her hair up. Um, she would normally wear her hair down for work, but she tied it up uh, in a bobble so it was out of the way. And she said for her, that was her mentally preparing herself for, right, I need to focus on what I'm doing, take something seriously. It was a little bit like rolling your sleeves up almost. It was that kind of feeling for her. Um, and another participant before he went to see an acutely unwell patient and perhaps he'd got a lot of other things on his mind, you know, a list of jobs to do, and he felt he needed to kind of try and shut those things out. He would take his glasses off and clean them. Um, and he said he, he struggled with his vision without his glasses. So he literally couldn't see anything when he took his glasses off, but it just gave him a moment of, I need to think about what I'm about to go and do and walk into the room and focus on on that patient and he said also really importantly it didn't draw any attention to him taking your glasses off and cleaning them is a really innocent task to do it's not like you're doing something really odd like a you know a bit of yoga in the middle of the corridor or bouncing a tennis ball <laughs> or something really odd that's going to draw attention to you so he felt he could do that without um without feeling self-conscious so yeah um get started by using some of the sports examples but make up your own make it your and make it your own and I think that's where people find most success with mental skills uh, rehearsal perfect there are some great examples there <laughs> yeah. 
So these um, performance enhancing routines, um, do they actually improve clinical practice and which specialties have tried them so far? Yeah, so uh, we're in a stage of looking into this in more detail. So the outcomes from the PhD were very much self-assessed um, outcomes in terms of um, a measurement called self-efficacy, which is quite well used in, in the medical literature and um, describes how well you think you're able to do something. So the question that I actually asked the participants in terms of outcomes was how well do you think you can control any negative thoughts and behaviours? And the reason that that's, a, that's an important question is not is because it's so important. We understand that anxiety and underconfidence and just that kind of negative feeling of, oh, I'm not sure about something. It's not always a bad thing. It's actually a little internal warning that something maybe serious is going on, something is important that's going on, and that also you might need some help. So they're all important um, emotions to experience. But when they get overwhelming and they start to sort of paralyze people and they completely give you what I like to call brain fog and you can't access the knowledge and skills that you know you do have inside your brain somewhere, but in the sheer panic of everything, you can't access them. That's when they become a problem. So the question, uh, coming back to the question that we asked the participants, it was how well they could actually control the negative feelings. And we gave them a score of, uh, you know, zero being I can't control these feelings at all to 100. I've got complete control. And we asked them at different points throughout the study when they've had more and more chance to practice the perform model and personalize it as we said before and the scores shot up you know so all of the participants felt that using the perform model and personalizing it really did improve their ability to control these negative emotions and behaviors so much so that they weren't interfering with their clinical practice and performance as much as they were before what i would like to do now what i'm working with different teams to achieve is some more objective outcomes. So we're looking at actually uh, clinical practice in terms of improving people's skills, improving people's management of patients, that sort of thing, and measuring those with uh, different tools, maybe in simulation and also real life on the wards. So the specialties that we're trying it with at the moment and I'm heavily involved with is orthopedics which might be a slight surprise to some people because um, uh, without speaking out of turn, orthopaedics um, perhaps isn't always one of the first specialties you think about in terms of engaging with lots of medical education interventions and innovation. Um, but the team that I'm working with is based in Sheffield and uh, their uh, training programme director is very forward thinking and enthusiastic about medical education and contacted me after a conference a few years ago so last year they ran a pilot um, at what they call their orthopedic boot camp, which is where they help to prepare trainees who are stepping up from that SHO role into a registrar role or first year registrar role. Um, and they deal with some of the technical skills that are necessary for registrars, but also there's a huge focus on the non-technical skills, communication, prioritization, etc. And the person running the boot camp felt that the perform model really fit into that area quite neatly 
and was hopefully going to be able to support the trainees when they were stepping up into those more responsible roles in terms of controlling negative feelings and emotions when things were getting really tense um, and busy. So what we did last year was introduced um, an attitude survey which showed overwhelmingly that people are really interested in learning about mental skills training. They don't have it and they haven't had it in the past but they do want it and they also have a belief that it will help their clinical training and interestingly the survey was opened up to more people as well so um, there was also a urology boot camp which was a very similar thing and we got really similar results from them but also the um, the orthopaedic community was surveyed so we got over 200 responses from orthopaedic trainees and trainers um, so consultant level and basically 95% of all respondents felt that mental skills would improve clinical practice which is huge but also the majority of people had never had any training in it so there's a real there's a real kind of thirst for it that needs looking at um, other specialties that are interested include um, general surgeons, also uh, general mm -hmm. medics. Uh, and also I've been recently contacted by a really wonderful physician in emergency medicine in Canada. So it's it's going global, hope, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, people are interested. As I said, there's a thirst for it. I think particularly given the last two years with the whole you know COVID pandemics, et cetera, the workforce needs some tools to support the these negative feelings and emotions in the workplace and I'm really hopeful that Perform can help. So what advice would you give to a healthcare professional who is anxious at the thought of attending an emergency situation? I think the first piece of advice I'd give is um, it's normal <laughs> to be anxious and underconfident and stressed and feeling a bit frazzled uh, and if you weren't then um, Congratulations, but you're in the minority. <laughs> um, I think it's really important at this point, actually, to, to make the distinction between tools like Perform, mental skills rehearsal, which support the application of your skills and knowledge in stressful situations, and how that's not the same, and it's not a substitute for your medical skills and knowledge and training itself. So it's not going to fix all the problems. So I think the first thing to say is it's always worth going back to basics and thinking about whether there are any gaps in your knowledge um, and, and skills in terms of looking after patients. And they need plugging first and they need addressing, you know, foremost. But putting that to one side and let's assume that whatever you're being called to is, is within your remit. And for example, if I took this person for a coffee and had a little chat with them and said, oh, what would you do in this theoretical scenario? They would know what to do. But when it comes to actually putting things into practice, that's when things get a bit difficult. I would encourage them to look at the before model. Um, and you can access that through one of the links that I think we're going to put in the to the articles at the end of the podcast. Um, it's a really simple model. It's not complicated. And it basically just breaks down and asks you a series of basically four questions to try and help you get through a difficult scenario. So those questions are, first of all, how do you feel? 
And if you feel something negative, whether that just be like this gut feeling you can't really put your finger on and describe, or whether it's something more specific, like I feel anxious about something, that's fine. But if it's a negative feeling, then you need to then understand why you feel like that. And it might be that, you know, you've been asked to go and see somebody to put in a nasogastric tube, for example. And the last time or few times that you did it, it just did not work. And it was stressful for you and the patient. So that's why you don't want to go and do it. It could be a whole host of reasons. Um, you then pick a routine. And like I said, first and foremost, they go back to the sports psychology literature, take a few deep breaths, count down backwards from five to one, um, do a visualization exercise, something really easy, try it, apply it to the situation and then evaluate. Did it work? Do I feel better? Do I feel a little bit more calm? If the answer is no, then you try something else. So there's a bit of trial and error here. You try a different technique, go back into that, that bank um, of routines and try something else. If you do feel better, you can kind of return to that first question of how do I feel? And hopefully you feel a little bit better and a bit more able to go and tackle whatever the task is. But while ever the task's going on, you're still monitoring how you feel. You've still got this little internal monologue of, do I feel okay? Do I feel okay? And as long as the answer's yes, carry on with what you're doing. As soon as the answer becomes no, I don't feel okay. You then kind of trigger off that set of questions again. Why do I feel like this? Let's try a routine do I feel better? It makes much more sense with the little visual in front of you, by the way. So when you do, if you do go and access the article, um, hopefully it'll be a, a bit more straightforward. Um, I suppose the final thing to say is the more that you use the model, the more, first of all, you can personalize it, the easier it is to use. Because what you find is that when you're asking yourself what the problem is, and it's the same problem that you had maybe a few days ago. So yeah, let's let's say there's another nasogastric tube and it's it's not been going well. You know that in that scenario, the routine that works for you is visualization, for example, because you've tried it, you've tested it, and you've created these nuances, these little pathways for yourself within the model. So instead of wasting lots of time going round and round in circles, trying routines that do not work, you go straight to the one that works. And you can see how over time this builds into a whole library of routines that almost become automatic. And that's the end goal, that eventually you don't have to think about any of these questions. It just becomes really automatic and automated, which is essentially what sports people do with, with pre-performance routines. So where can people find out more information about using mental skills in clinical practice? Okay, um, so there's quite a few resources out there um, about mental skills. And I suppose the first place that might be quite nice uh, to direct people is a really short paper that we wrote a few years ago, which is like a personal view. It's just a couple of sides of, of A4. And it just sets the scene for the overlap between sports and um, clinical practice, essentially. So it's a really nice introductory, um, easy read. And I'll, we'll put, put a link uh, to that. But it's about the Rio Olympic Games. And I suppose that's where this whole idea came from, watching, watching people compete at Olympic level and the, the pressures that they were under and kind of drawing parallels between clinical practice. So that's a really nice introductory paper. 
that you know, people might uh, enjoy reading. I think if you're if you're wanting to know a bit more about the perform study and the perform model in a bit more detail, there's kind of two places that I direct you. And um, the first one is about the data that came out of the PhD and that's been published in, in academic medicine um, in 2021. Um, that's a really useful paper if you want a bit more information about the outcomes that we measured, how the study was set up. Um, so I suppose people who might want to get a bit more sense of the evidence base behind what we've been talking about today that would be where I direct them to but if you're if you're a trainee or even an educator and you're looking for instructions on how you might use perform in your either on your daily day-to-day -day work or if you wanted to put it into a training program perhaps or introduce it for trainees a uh, session then we've actually written a guide. It's like a how-to guide, basically. And it goes through a bit of the theoretical background, but also talks about the model in a lot more detail. So you can decide whether it's something that you can implement. And that's the Amy guide, um, which was published by um, Medical Teacher Journal. And again, um, we'll pop a link at the end to that one. There's been a systematic review that was published last year um, by John Sanders et al. Um, and I was part of that team. Um, that gives you a real broad overview of all the different studies that are out there that talk about using mental skills training. And it obviously analyzes what they've got in common, what their differences were. Um, so again, that's it's quite um quite an important paper to read if you're thinking about implementing something like this because it gives you lots of evidence about what's been done before and how you can build on it. I suppose it's really the best papers to look at and best resources to look at for people who are particularly involved and interested in sports psychology is actual sports psychology articles as well and um, I found them really interesting about pre-performance routines Anything that's written by Cotterill et al. was really great. Um, and there's, a, there's some great papers about elite runners, cricketers, et cetera, that are very easy read, very informative, and will inspire people, hopefully, to, to use these techniques. I suppose it's worth saying as well that we've talked a lot about clinical practice, but the PERFORM model and you know performance-enhancing routines in general are totally transferable to any situation so a lot of medics are sports people as well as well as you know musicians and performers and dancers etc and any of those environments uh, can support the use of the perform model so yeah just get stuck in really have a read have a think about where you might want to use your perform model it might not be at work um but sports psychology articles would be a, a great place to to have a some inspirational reading. Perfect, thank you. And finally, what take-home advice would you give to a doctor who has just been called to attend an emergency situation? I would encourage them to think about how they're feeling. I think it's really important to acknowledge that we're all human beings, we have emotions, we have behaviours, some of them are positive, some of them aren't. And if you feel that your negative emotions and behaviours are detrimentally affecting your clinical performance then there are things out there to help 
I think as well, the fact that you and I are having this conversation about performance anxiety in clinical environment, essentially, is brilliant because it normalises it. And it is normal to feel anxious at work, to feel worried about things. So that's totally understandable. And anybody listening to the podcast that, that feels that way, I certainly felt that way a lot. I'm sure there's lots of other people that feel the same way. Um, so that's another take home message is that you're not on your own and there are things out there. Perform is one tool and you can uh, you can find other things. But I think the most important thing to do is speak to somebody that you trust and can confide in as well if you're struggling at work with anything, but particularly clinical performance issues. So talk to your educational um, or academic supervisor, talk to your clinical supervisor, talk to your colleagues as well. And if you see somebody, a role model at work that really inspires you and you think, gosh, they're brilliant and I want to be like that, have a chat with them. I'm sure they'd be delighted to talk to you about how they manage the stresses of, of being a doctor. Um, I'm really a big fan of role modelling. So I think we can learn a lot from, from other people and being inspired by others. Um, as we sort of alluded to earlier, it's really important to identify if there are knowledge skills, uh, sorry, knowledge or skill gaps in your repertoire that need plugging. And that's not to say that as a first year junior doctor, you should be able to, you know, do a laparoscopic appendicectomy on your own. That's just, <laughs> that's not sensible advice, but the really basic stuff that you feel like, actually, I, I think I should be able to do this. Or this was in my curriculum at medical school and I just don't feel, you know, confident to do that anymore or competent to do that anymore. Those things need addressing really urgently. And anything that the perform model or other mental skills rehearsal exercises can do is just to kind of support your knowledge and skills being put into practice. I really hope that people look at perform, hope it makes sense, hope that they personalize it, make it their own. Um, the more you use it, the easier it will become. So I think, yeah, there's a really long winded take home message. I'm sorry, but um, I think in summary, um, negative emotions and behaviours in the workforce are really common and there are things out there to support you really simple things so have a look try them out and get support from the people around you there's lots of people uh, your immediate work colleagues and your supervisors well, thank you today for joining us and thank you again for a great insight into how sports psychology can be used within the clinical setting. We wish you all the best and a warm goodbye from BGSM. Thank you.